we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's open God's Word together and be finding, please, the New Testament book of the Revelation. Be finding Revelation chapter 2, a book that if you're a part of our Sunday school hour, you ought to be familiar with the first portion of it at least. Revelation chapter 2. We're praying for pastor while he's away, and I'm thankful he gave me this opportunity to preach. And They're down there in Florida suffering, right, celebrating Chandler and our graduates. We need to be praying for those graduates as they transition. Life moves fast, doesn't it? And the, the unique thing about life moving so quickly is in the midst of the brevity and the quickness of life, you are full of transitional seasons. You know what I'm talking about. My wife and I are in a huge transition right now. We are now being posed with this intimidating question, are you ready to be parents? And I think back just a year ago, the question was, are you ready to be parents? The question was, well, how's married life? And I had this prompted response that I just pocketed and prepared to say to people. I would always say something like this. Well, you know, married life is always better than anybody ever advertised it to be. And I always said that. But now that I'm being asked a new question, I have no idea how to answer it. Am I ready to be a dad? If I say yes, I'm prideful. If I say no, I'm ungrateful. So if you guys have some answers for me that I could pull out of my pocket and use, you please let me know, okay? But uh, this transitional season, I'm so grateful that God has gifted us with a child. And we're praying for her health. Her name is Presley, by the way, not Elvis Presley. My wife spelled it differently intentionally. We didn't want to name our kid after the king of rock and roll and all that jazz, right? But Presley, so if you think of us, you'd be praying for her. We're leaving one season of life and transitioning into another. Now, I love the last season. The last season my wife and I were a part of was more of that honeymoon phase. Somebody once said that the honeymoon phase is that time between I do and you'd better. And I, I wish I would have been the wise man that came up with it. But seriously, the honeymoon phase is a beautiful phase. It's, it's that time of life where you're just more concerned about the presence of your partner than anything else. You're just desiring their delight. And whatever they want, you want to make it happen. My wife and I, when we departed from Beckley, West Virginia, the most wonderful place in the world, and went down to North Carolina and then to Florida for our honeymoon, we could have been traveling to Antarctica without a winter coat, and I would have been just as happy. You know why? Because it was all about her presence. I didn't care for anything else. By the way, my sister Marty's here. At least she thought that joke was funny, right? Marty's here. And, and in all reality, it's a beautiful phase. But the danger with that phase is... You take the principle in it, cherishing somebody's presence, prioritizing somebody's presence, desiring the delight of your spouse, and you leave the principles behind and you kind of compartmentalize it and then you move on to this next season that my wife and I are entering into, that honeymoon phase. May I, may I spiritualize it for a moment? Do you remember your honeymoon phase with Jesus when you were first saved? All you cared about was his presence. It wasn't what was going on that day. You just had to get into your Bible. 
where your prayer life was just so alive. It was as if you were at the presence of Jesus at his nail-pierced feet. You could just sense it. Do you remember those days where you couldn't just help but tell somebody about his love and his grace? Do you remember that phase? You prioritized his presence. You desired his delight. It's a beautiful phase too, isn't it? But don't you think that the principles of that phase, prioritizing the presence, desiring his delight, don't you think those principles are something that we ought to aspire after every single day after salvation? That honeymoon love, not just a honeymoon phase or a season, but a honeymoon love for Christ. Well, in Revelation chapter 2, we find a church who once had that honeymoon love. They did prioritize the presence of Christ. They desired His delight. But they lost that honeymoon love. Oh, they still loved Him, don't get me wrong, but it just wasn't like they used to love Him. Would you begin reading with me in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 2? The Word of God says this, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Sounds like a pretty good report card, doesn't it? But then Christ transitions. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He had all this great affirmation and approbation to give to him. And he says, but hold up a second. There's one thing that I have wrong with you. And you've left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. May I say it this way? You've lost that honeymoon love. So for the next few moments, I just want to speak underneath this title, if God would help me, and I trust he will. Honeymoon love. Honeymoon love. Would you pray with me and ask God's blessing? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I know this, that in me of myself dwelleth no good thing. I'm unworthy to be your son, let alone your preacher. Would you please take me and deliver through me this message you've delivered to me? Your people need your word, and I cannot deliver it without you. Open our hearts. Soften our hearts. Help us to receive with meekness your engrafted word. Help us to respond in faith. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Honeymoon love. We know what it is. I had to alliterate it so I wouldn't forget it, and I'm a little bit Baptist, so you've got the prioritizing of Christ's presence. You're desiring His delight. We know what it is, but may I pose this question? Why should we have honeymoon love? I mean, really, why should we have it? Christ says you've left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. Well, then, why should we have it? 
Might I remind you today that anytime God has an action, he always has a reason behind that action. And God says you ought to have a honeymoon love. Look at verse 1. We'll find our reason. These things saith he that what? Holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Holdeth. Maybe you'd like to circle that word. He holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Now, I've had the privilege of being almost like an itinerant Sunday school member. I get to sit in here for part of Dr. Payne's, and then I get to transition to Mr. Odom's and listen to both of them deliver wonderful Sunday school lessons. And if you've been there, you would recall, if not, you'll know this, that the stars are representative of the messengers of the church, the pastors of the church. And Christ is saying, I am speaking, he that holds these seven pastors in his right hand. Can I do it this way? In his right hand, right? The first reason we ought to have honeymoon love is this, is Christ is before us. He's before us. That right hand, it's picturesque of authority, and he is leading those who are leading us, those who are illuminated by Christ, the pastors of the church, and he is holding them in his hand, and he is calling out for this love because he is before us. His right hand, our chief shepherd, he is before us. Now, there's a phrase that I've probably retired way too early in my marriage. But I remember about a year ago, I was saying it nonstop. My wife would ask me now, Isaac, she doesn't say it like that. She says it like this, Isaac, and that's one of the things that caused me to fall for, you know. And she said, Isaac, what do you want for dinner this evening? Or what do you want to do this weekend? And I would respond, one of those pocketed response guys, well, honey, it's up to you. I probably should bring that one out of retirement. That's always good to say. But then you get in this 30-minute battle of, well, I don't care. Well, I don't care when you both really care. But all of that to say this, I had honeymoon love for her. I loved her presence, and I wanted her to be so happy that my opinion didn't matter. She was before me. And Christ is before us. In all reality, as our potentate, as our president, as the one who said, I will build my church, he's the foundation and the founder of this church. He's before us. It's up to him. He is deserving of our honeymoon love as our sovereign. Not only is Christ before us, but read on. He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The seven golden candlesticks, meaning the seven churches. He walketh in the midst of them. Not only is he before us, but he's with us. He's with us. I'm not telling on myself here, but bear with me. Have you ever been on the job and nobody's around? You have a task that ought to be done, but you've got a good amount of time to do it, so you kind of just linger and you're a little bit lazy and apathetic about it and you're not working as hard as you should and then all of a sudden somebody like Mr. Hickman or Pastor or Mr. Odom come by and you perk up and you start working harder acting like you're doing that the whole time. Has that ever happened to you? Well, it's never happened to me. But how about this, kids? Your parents say, all right, I want you to go to sleep at 9 o'clock. Is that your bedtime, kids? 9 o'clock? Maybe earlier, maybe later, I don't know. And I want you to go to your bed. I want you to lie down, put your head on your pillow and go to sleep. 9 o'clock, got it? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. 
and you go in your bedroom and maybe you're privileged to share a bedroom with one of your siblings or you have a video game console in there with you. I don't know what it is. And you go in there and at nine o'clock you're in your bedroom, but you're not really sleeping yet. And you're playing your games or you're goofing off with your sibling. And then you hear the footsteps and they knock on your door. Sometimes they don't even knock. And parents really don't have to knock, by the way, kids. That's okay. And they barge in. And what do you do? You plop your head down on the pillow and act like you're asleep. Can I say it this way? The presence makes a difference. It sure does. And the reason that Christ is deserving of our honeymoon love, that prioritizing of his presence, that desiring of his delight, the thing we ought to aspire after day by day by day is because he's before us and he's with us. He's with us right now. The only reason I even have faith enough to get up here and preach to a congregation that five years ago I'd never even heard of is because Christ is with me and Christ is for me and before me. It would be no more real as if he came in his incarnate body walking through those doors and with nail-pierced hands reached out to this audience. He's worthy of that type of love. And when you leave here, is he still with you, church? He is. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's worthy because he's before us and he's with us. Second question, maybe you'd like to write it down. Why don't we have honeymoon love? We know why we should have it. We know what it is, but why don't we have it? Well, let's read in verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. This is a double-ended statement. The reason we don't have honeymoon love is because we do the right things, without doing the first thing. We do the right things. Look at these people. Verse three, I, uh, verse two, excuse me. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are, what's the word? Evil. Even to go farther and say, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them what? Liars. This church, they had good morals. They, they didn't put up with evil nonsense. They didn't put up with debauchery and sensual nature. They weren't that church. They had good morals. They had clean hands. May I put it this way? They were honest workers. They did right by their customers. They were the type that they showed up on Sunday morning. They showed up out of pity for that young preacher on Sunday nights. They had good morals. They had good ethics. In verse 3, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Even jump down to verse 6. Read this. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They had good morals. They had clean hands. They also had good doctrine. They had clear heads. The deeds of the Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans was that sect of individuals back in the first century church that tried to make a divine distinction in their words to separate pastors from, in their words, ordinary Christians. 
But they knew that wasn't the case, that there's an individual priesthood to every believer. And every person has their exclusive right to God because they are included with Christ's payment for their sins on the cross. They had great doctrine. They had great morals. They did the right things. They fought for liberty. This church, the church at what? What was the city church? Ephesus. You know where their first few pastors were? Paul? Timothy? John? I mean, this church had it made. That's Pastor Hooks. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, they got it made. They had everything that the world would look at and say, that is a thriving, growing church. They've got it going on. They're clean. Their heads are clear. But here's the danger. Listen closely. Here's the danger. You can live that type of life without Christ. You can have a life of good ethics and good morals without Christ. I even go as far to say that you can have this type of doctrine. Even the demons had a similar doctrine to us without Christ. They did the right things without doing the first thing. They had clear heads. They had clean hands. But you know what their problem was? They had cold hearts. Their heads were full of knowledge and teachings of Christ, but their hearts were so shriveled up. Why? They'd lost that honeymoon love. Look at verse 4, our text verse. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. They did the right things, by the way, which are still the right things. I'm not advocating that we abandon all those things. That's part of the reason why Morgan and I were led to this church because we identify the things that you all identify with on the Word of God. We ought to hold fast to those professions and those truths. However, the church at Ephesus did those things. They did the right things without doing the first thing. The first thing. What does that look like? May I tell you what it looks like? It's all labor, but no love. It's all work, but it's no walk. It's all light, but it's no heat. They, they did all the right things without doing the first thing. It's like they were winding up in the mornings and like a robot just going through the motions of the Christian life so they could fulfill their duties without devotion. They weren't doing the first thing. Hey, Paul, not Paul Robertson, the Apostle Paul. Hey, Paul, aren't you sick of getting thrown into prison? I mean, three missionary journeys, you're tossed into the prison cell three times. You're writing one of your final epistles. You're writing to Philippi. And you're talking about having joy. I mean, aren't you sick of all that? I mean, you've preached to thousands of people. You've seen so many converts. You have had the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon you, your entire mind. Aren't you sick of it? What's your goal? What's the thing that motivates you in the midst of all of this? You're doing all the right things, and yet you're getting punished like you're doing the wrong things. What's your goal? What's your motive? That I may know him. Hey, Mary. Don't you think you should get up and help Martha? I mean, she's cumbered about with much service. 
That's old King James English for she be doing a lot. She needs your help. Dishes, food, guests. Why don't you get up and help her? You're just wasting your time. And she looks up, wipes the tears off her eyes. I've chosen the needful, good part. Hey, David, aren't you sick of running from Saul? I mean, you're hiding out in caves and concourses all over the place, the hills, the rocks, the rills. Aren't you sick of it? I mean, God anointed you to be king. You have a right to that throne. Why don't you just take things into your own hands? What's going to get you through? And in Psalm 18, he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. These people got it. Dare not do anything for Christ without first doing something with him. Hey, disciples, where are you preaching this weekend, guys? You going to cast out demons? Are you going to heal the sick? Are you going to see the bread and fish multiplied again? What you doing this weekend, guys? I don't know my schedule ahead of time. But according to Mark 3, 14, my priority is that I should be with him. Dare not do anything for Christ without first doing something with him. That's why we don't have honeymoon love. We bypass the first thing, the great work, and we go about, like Martha, cumbered about with much service, all labor, no love, all light, no heat, and we get to this point at the end of the ministry season, and we're drained and we're exhausted. Why? Because we have neglected that resource that only is available to us when we get alone and spend time with God, and we love him first. Last question. How can we have honeymoon love? Is it possible? Verse 5. What's the first word, church? It is remember. (laughs) Maybe you'd like to circle it. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. You know why they'd fallen? Because they'd forgotten where they'd come from. You know why they'd fallen? They had replaced the amazement of God for the amusement of self. Do you know why they'd fallen? They were doing all the right things without first doing the first thing. And you and I, excuse me, I get in this trap of losing the wonder of it all. I get in this trap of forgetting about this so great of salvation, this wonderful story of God the Father picking a moment in time to send his only begotten son to pay the price for mankind. They'd lost the wonder of it all. You remember that honeymoon love when you were so close to Jesus? I mean, you would just walk around and talk to him out loud. You felt like if you reached out your hand, you could grab his nail pierced. Do you remember that? They had forgotten. They had fallen. This is the same church, the church at what? Ephesus. The same church that Paul had recently said, we are raised together with Christ, seated together in heavenly places. I mean, that's so magnificent, we can hardly wrap our mind around it, and yet this same church had fallen. They'd fallen because they had forgotten. They were backslidden because they were belaboring the fact that they needed to love Christ first. Dr. Adrian Rogers once said this, if you fail to love Jesus today more than yesterday, you are backslidden. 
remember. Remember. Do you love the old hymns we sing here? I do. I absolutely do. Part of the reason why we sing those hymns is to bring our minds to remembrance of the great truths that God loves us. And one of my hymns that just sticks out in my mind that I think might be the most beautifully penned, in my opinion, was the one by Frederick Lehman where he said in this verse, Could we with ink the ocean fill? Or were the sky of parchment made and every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's a magnificent love, isn't it? A love that is always only good. Have you forgotten about it? That kind of love is the love that demands love back. But it's also the kind of love that loves you so much that it allows you to choose to love him back. It's not coercive. It's not forceful. Remember, continue reading verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And John must have been a Baptist. Repent. It's alliterated. You can't miss it. And repent. Have a change of mind. A change of heart. Repent of what exactly? Repent of the coldness of your sin. The coldness of your heart. Repent, literally just having a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of intention, and a change of action. It's internal, then it's external. Not some fuddy-duddy repentance where you come to an altar and you give it up to God one day and the next day you begin doing the same thing. That's not repentance. Judas repented himself whenever he had committed the crime against Christ. It wasn't authentic or genuine. It was pretend repentance. This type of repentance is the type that gets it settled once and for all. Not to say that it is completely sinless thereafter, but regardless, has a short conscience about sin. Has a very simple mind focused on the one thing, I've got to love Jesus more today than yesterday. Repent. Continue reading verse 5. Remember, repent, and do the first works. And do the first works. Maybe you'd like to do this to help you understand this word first. In verse 4, toward the end of the verse, circle the word first. Then there in verse 5, we just read it, circle that word first. And make a connection in your mind. Maybe draw a line between the two. First. First. Do the first works. What are the first works? What is the first love? I think a lawyer asked the same question in Matthew chapter 22. He was trying to get Jesus to fumble on his word, the living word, trying to get him to make a mistake. He was foolish, and he said, Christ, what is the greatest commandment of the whole law? And Jesus, without stutter, stammer, or equivocation, said this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Here it goes. This is the first and great commandment. That means it is the one that takes priority over all the other ones. It's not giving out the gospel, though that is a priority. It's not tithing your gross income, because that is a priority. It's not being an encourager to fellow Christians. It's not even attending Wednesday night prayer meetings, though all those things are the good things and the right things. Listen, this is what Christ said. The priority, the sum and the substance of the Christian life is this, love God. God with everything in you, 
Love him. May I simplify the Christian life for you? Boil it down to its smallest form. The Christian life is loving Christ. So that's it? Maybe you're here and you're a new Christian. We've seen a handful of kids saved in the past month in the children's ministry. It's been miraculous. Hey, young person, don't get so caught up in trying to figure out everything about the Christian life. Just know this. The Christian life is loving Christ. I'm not talking about that ecstatic feeling when you're singing a praise and worship song and you just want to stand up and punch your hand. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about rousing your emotions to where you can cry when you hear the third verse of amazing grace. I'm not talking about that either. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And it is measured by the amount of time you give to something. So may I ask you, do you actually... Not, not just in form or in shadow, the, the real deal. Do you love Jesus? How do I know how much I love Jesus? Do you spend time with him? You say this is elementary. Well, you've got the children's ministry leader up here preaching. It, it is elementary. But do you love him? If you want to know how much you love somebody, measure by how much time you spend with them. And you will never love Jesus the way you ought to love Jesus if you don't know Jesus the way you ought to know Jesus. And the only way to know God is through his perfect word that he's passed down to you, this completed revelation of himself, the Bible. And prayer, the first word, do you love him? Do you want to know what the scariest part about all this is? I mean, if we were to measure this church, we'd say, man, they've got all the boxes checked. They have a minor flaw. I mean, they're not loving Christ the way they should. God didn't look at it that way. Look what he says toward the end of verse 5. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Except thou repent. You want to see the quickest way that Christ will shut down a church? Stop loving him. Go try to find the Ephesian church. That same church that had Paul and Timothy and John as their pastor. That same church that Christ said all these wonderful things about that was seated together in heavenly places with him that did the right things. They had the good morals. They had the good doctrine. The clean hands and the clear heads. They had it all going on. Go try to find them. Chiefest port of Asia Minor. Go looking for them. Guess what? You won't find them there. And oh, I pray God that this church that has the right doctrine, that has the right ethics, the right morals, I pray God that a hundred years from now, lest the rapture takes place, that you could still come to Hickory, North Carolina and find a church who is not there because of their good doctrine, although it's good, and is not there because of their good morals and ethics, though it's good, but is there because they did the first and great work, and that is loving Christ. But you won't find this church. May I ask you this question? Do you have a honeymoon love for Christ? Be honest. Do you? Do you prioritize his presence? I'm not asking you about your doctrine. I'm not asking you about your behavior. Do you desire his delight? 
Is his pleasure and his alone the goal? Wanting to know him? Or have you left your first love? Have you fallen? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.